Welcome back inside yet another episode of the Inspiring Talk podcast. I'm super excited to have with me Imtiaz Anis. Imtiaz, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. So Imtiaz, um, let's get straight into this. So you come from the family of Nawabs. Your great-grandfather was a Nawab. So I'm sure, you know, the upbringing that you had is a bit different than most of us. Um, so please tell us a little bit about your childhood and how was it like, you know, to grow up in a family of Nawabs? Well, I wouldn't really put it that there was anything much different, uh, except for that, you know, that's what the, what the family was, you know, that's how we, but we were, we were brought up very, uh, I would say normal, uh, in, in all aspects, you know, we were not made any privileged. Uh, yes, of course, you know, we had, uh, we went to good schools and, you know, we had good tutors and things like that. So that was really lovely. Uh, whatever my parents and my grandfather they always did, they did to their best, you know, which is lovely for me as a youngster to always see that, you know. Uh, there was no shortchanging them, no uh, shortcuts. You know, they did something, they put their full interest in it. They got the actual, you know, the right equipment, the right gear and the right help. So, you know, that was something that was, I would say, would have been, uh, you know, I was very uh, lucky to have that experience at a very young age. I'm glad that you pointed the fact that, you know, your grandparent and even your parents wanted to do things to the level of perfection and do the best of their ability. And this is something that, you know, often I ask people here on the podcast as well, and especially entrepreneurs. Hey, do you ever feel that trying to achieve that kind of perfection ever slow you down? Obviously, you will be delivering your best. But have you ever felt that because of that, uh, you know, how that has helped you or maybe in some cases, maybe, you know, uh, not helped you in your journey if you have to look back? Yeah, no, it has helped me 100% because I really believe it's not helping you back. It doesn't take more time. In the initial stage, yes, because you have to redo it because you do it quickly. You don't do it properly. But when you learn that that is the only way, that's the correct way, then it becomes a form of habit and then it becomes a way of life. That's the difference. What most people have to realize, like entrepreneurs or business people, because this podcast is for everybody. It's not only for equestrian people or only for sports people. That whatever they do, try to do the best in it in every aspect because you respect it. Then you, it's like respecting yourself. You know, it's like I tell people, you know, who are working from home, don't just get on your in your pajamas and get on your laptop. You know, have a shower, have your breakfast, change, wear something. You know, respect what you're doing, and then come and you'll have you'll have a different frame of mind. So that's really important. And even with my students, I keep on insisting to them. In fact, it's funny because I have a smirk on my face. But even today, I had a, had a boy and he came for a riding lesson and his shirt was out. And I said, no, you're not going to have a lesson. Your shirt has to be tucked in, wear a belt, look the part. It doesn't take much time. It doesn't cost anything, but it's respect. I love, uh, you know, how, you know, you have tied the whole thing. And also, it's I think it's also the way that creates the positive vibe around you when you are dressed certain way you feel different right so you know going back to the example that you've given uh, about working from the home and just being in the pajama versus when you're just dressed and you feel like yes I'm, I'm i'm doing something right and then you you kind of have a different feeling uh for the same work um so in case you started um riding at four um you know when you adjusted uh you know at, at the age of four and you so I was very fortunate. That was where, again, my grandfather used to ride and my mother used to ride. So, they took, you know, so I was uh, taken to the riding club at a very young age. So even though at four years old, I wasn't actually physically riding, but I was always put on a horse for a round and the walk and, you know, but I spent a lot of time with the horses. So I would always be around them. I just loved them. I would brush them, clean them, groom them. So it became a part of me. So when I actually started riding and competing, I was very comfortable. I was absolutely fearless, uh, which helps. And I was so confident. Uh, you know, it's a bit like when you're that young, uh, you know, or, or suppose when you're 18 years old and you drive your first car, 
it's quite an excitement because you're free. You know, you're driving this car and you can just go anywhere. You know, so for me, at such a young age, I could be on this horse and I was I felt that freedom. You know, uh, so that was just absolutely uh, wonderful. The other thing, you know, um, that I kind of picked from your book was, and also I can re- relate a lot was when I was really young, and this was the first time that I've ever gone on on the stage, right? And then when I did that event, and I think I was at my fifth um, grade. Um, I went on this stage and I think I was hosting my school's uh, this function and I came back home and then there was this neighbor, uh, you know, whose, whose kids were uh, also at the, you know, the same school and they came back to me and said that, hey, you know what, you, you did really great today. You were amazing at the stage and that kind of, you know, helped me a lot. And I remember that, you know, and, and that was one of the instances where that really boosted my confidence throughout my life and also uh, when you were just very, very young, I think you were again, you know, four or maybe five, when, um, you know, a, a known rider from England gifted you a wooden whip and then said you are the best rider of your age that you have ever met, right? So when you look back today, how do you think, you know, incidents like that might have helped you build that confidence? And also for a lot of parents who might be listening to this podcast, what do you have to say about building confidence in the kids? It that is. No, I, I, I love that you've, you've hit on something that is so small, but yet so powerful. And that's why I put it there in the big, because it's these small things that make a big difference. And I keep telling my students also, it's the small steps. It's not the big steps, the big wins. It's when somebody just gives you a pat on the back or somebody just shakes your hand and says, good job. Or, you know, it's those small things that really mean something that you say, all right, I got to push a bit harder. I got to make it harder. Uh, work harder and also you feel like you know i cannot let these people down you know like when i was in competition ring and i was riding i would think of him you know elvin hartley edwards he's a famous author he's written in books he'd come to england and he presented me i mean like who was i i was the smallest in the totem pole you know i was like a nobody and i and to be honest i don't even know whether i was the best rider or not but he did it and to me that was so important so this is what i like to tell parents is encourage your kids into what they want to do you know it's not about living your dream not living what your parents dream grandparents dream it's their dream and support it by encouraging them, but not blindly, not like, you know, they're getting zero and then saying, well done, you can still go on because I don't believe in that as well. You have to put a bit of reality to it. But when good is done, a lot of parents forget about that and they, they just go for the big picture. You know, like say, I'm just giving an example. We have kids who are you know, getting a D or getting an E and then suddenly gets a B. Why wasn't an A? Now, that's not the right way to say, you know, why wasn't an A? That's not, it's a B. It's already improved from where it was to say, well done, you know, wonderful, great job. Don't go overboard, but that encouragement is really important so that he says, oh God, you know, otherwise it's like, you know, I keep trying and I don't even get, you know, it doesn't matter because, you know, we, we in, our, in our society, unfortunately, everything is about winning and losing. That's not the way the world works. It's about the journey. It's about the improvements. It's about the people that you meet while getting where you want to get, you know. So I always tell parents, encourage them for the journey rather than the win. Mm, that's really important. And earlier, you also mentioned about respecting the profession. And I want to connect another thing to that, which was, if that's such a young age of four, maybe five, you had developed such a passion for this thing of riding the horse. And you would wake up at five every single morning and you would go to the course and then you you would see other people riding and then you know get, take those lessons and stuff like that how did that came about was it because you were constantly exposed to the horses because of your grandfather and mother they were riders and you were constantly there and then you wanted to you know maybe ride those horses one of the one day and how did that came about it's such a young age I have to say, it just it, it just happened. I mean, it was not something, you know, sometimes you you have it and you, or you don't. And I tell the younger generation, 
And it's interesting you brought this up because I was in a school the other day and I was giving a talk and a kid asked me that. You know, he said, you know, what if you haven't found your passion? You know, mm. and I said, that's fine. But don't go with somebody else's passion because you haven't found your passion. You know, give it time because everybody finds their passion in a different stage. I was a bit crazy. I found it at a young age, but that's lucky. You know, there's some people who do it. Some people find it later on. Some people find it after in school. Some people find it in college. So as long as you stay positive, keep positive people around you and keep looking for that passion because it's important in life. You have to get up every morning feeling something. You know, got to say, I'm going to get up in the morning to do something. You can't get up in the morning saying, oh my God, I got to get to work. I got to catch the train. I got to take the bus. You can't live life like that, you know, because by then you'll be exhausted. You know, you got to get up and say, let's go, let's go. Where am I going? You know, I've got to, I, this is what I love to do. I've got to get up. I'm going to create something. I'm going to do something. And it could be anything where you're a doctor, you're a surgeon, you're an artist, you're a chef. You're doing something that you love to do. So that passion will come. So for me, I was just lucky that at that age, I had it in me. I just, and for me, the drawing agent was the horse. I was in so much in love with these horses that for me, it would wake me up every morning because I just wanted to be with them. Irrelevant whether I rode or didn't ride. I just wanted to be with the horses because it gave me that freedom. So now take us through this journey from, you know, uh, four years uh, <laughs> of, you know, A's to maybe now, you know, riding, let's say, the horse of your, your grandfather's horse, um, you know, aptly named Rajesh for the first time. You know, and, and that was, you know, how old were you? Like six or maybe yes, five? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. T tell us about like that uh, period of the time when you got to ride the horse for the first time that you've always wanted to. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it's always lovely. I mean, because the horse I loved so much. It was a big, strong horse. You know, he was a stallion. You know, every, he had thrown everybody in my family off, you know. So he was, I, he had, everybody had been bucked off. So they were all so scared. And I was really little. I was so small. I literally, my legs would not even go around him, you know. But I had already built up that relationship with him. I, I was in his stable from four years old, brushing him, cleaning him, bathing him, looking after him. So we were like just one. He was like my best friend, you know. So when I actually got to ride him and compete on him, everybody said, oh, man, the first competition. And I was lucky. I won. I won a lot of uh, most of my competitions where I won. But for me, at that stage, winning was not the thing. For me, it was I'm doing something with my best friend. So it's like you and your closest friend going and playing a squash game every day, badminton every day, football. You know, you're with your friend all the time, 24-7. So for me, Rajesh was that to me. He was somebody I would confide in, someone I would talk to, someone I would, you know, complain about school or college or whatever it was, you know, not college, school or my homework or teachers. So he became that, he was so uh, like a best friend. So that's how it, because it really was special to, you know, do all these things with him. MTS, I love the way, you know, you describe um, these horses and even throughout your book, it's very evident of the connection that you share with the horses that, you know, you have had uh, in your life. So, but, you know, if you look at generally, uh, people don't understand the emotional connect between human and animal, right? So what is it that you have understood by having this like deeper connection with your horses? No, I think the one, the best thing is that, you know, is that you really learn, you learn so much from them. One of the biggest things I learned is patience because there's nothing in a rush you can do, you know, and there's no expectations. So that's another very big thing. You know, like whenever you have a friend, you always do something thinking that, something's going to come back or something in return. You know, in our mind, we have that as people, as humans, you know, there's always, or even if they are in return, just expectations. Oh, well, I called my friend three times. He hasn't called me back. You know, I don't have, you don't have that with animals. You have to just give love and it will come, but you don't stop giving it. So you just realize that, that, you know, in life, that's what it's all about. It's just give. You have to give, you will receive, but there's no bar. To, if I give 10, I'll get 15. If I give 15, I'll get 20, you know, or I didn't get 20, I got only 10. There's no, it doesn't work like that with animals. So it's a relationship that you have to have. And I was really fortunate. I had such wonderful horses in me. And horses are a bit different from dogs. You know, dogs wag their tail, they jump, they come on you. So they show that affection. 
Horses don't even do that. So it's that quiet thing. It's, you know, it's a bit like, you know, when you're with your best friend, you could be in a room and you don't have to speak to each other, but you'll know both of you are there. That's enough. You know, that's, you know, that's, you know, like when guys are in a car, they don't, they don't have to be chatting all the time. You know, they can be just sitting on a long drive and we're just in our own space. But that's the bond of that friendship which you have with horses. I can be in my stable. He can't talk. He's not doing anything. He's just keeping his eyes, his ears a bit doopy and I can talk to him, hug him. And I know he's listening. And that's all that's important. And do you also feel, you know, uh, particularly with horses that, you know, um, if, if the horse is uh, really, you know, uh, showing the affection or something like, how, how do you sense that? I'm, I'm just curious. Well, they show it in different ways. You know, I mean, just the way that, you know, when I, every night I spend so much time with the horses, like I have my own training center and every night, even after dinner, I, I always make a round at the stables and they're all putting their head down. But as soon as I walk in, they'll still make a step and come towards you. You know, of course, they may be coming for a treat. They may be coming for a, uh, a carrot. But they still come there. They just put their head down and you give them a little hug. So that warmth is there, you know. You know, so mm. that's that's how they uh, sh- show their uh, or express their feelings. Wow, that's beautiful. And also, uh, you know, well, as I mentioned earlier, while reading the book, this uh, the whole thing about human animal connection and i think because the sports that you are in where there need to be perfect uh sync between the rider and the horse right otherwise you know you you just you just can't win the, uh or maybe even you know be in that competition if you are not in sync and that in a way for me your book was such a huge revelation of the fact that you know how the whole bond between the human and an animal uh, and then, you know, coming and as, as you said earlier, like, you know, we were one, right? You know, an animal and a human becoming one. So that was, that was just a beautiful thing. You were showing up every single day when you were very young. And, uh, and I'm sure you do that even today as, uh, you know, as you teach to the kids and stuff like that, you show up every single morning. And that's like, you know, if, if you look at that from the perspective of like the discipline that it is required for something meaningful to achieve in life. And it took you, several years i think you know you started at four and i think you were 26 27 when you actually you know got into olympics and that amount of dedication for like almost two decades that's a lot how does someone build discipline and what is it that you have learned about building discipline that you want to share with the younger generation i tell the younger generations it's everything okay because i always have a very very strong about this that hard work discipline beats talent always because there are many talented people here in india their talent is there's more talent than we, we even want you know but they don't have the discipline they don't have the, the, the they don't they can't put the work ethic so in order to be successful in life in whatever field you do you have to put the work in so i keep telling my kids you know, like today i'm 50 years old i still i'm up every morning at 5 30 i'm at the table sharp at six i tell my students if you have a lesson at six o'clock if you come at six five to six you're late Okay, that's how punctual, because you have to respect your instructor, your horse, your time, everything. You should be already in the ring. You should have been warmed up. You should be prepared. So when the instructor comes, you're ready to take your lesson. That's the kind of dedication. Now, I was very fortunate. I came from a house that was very disciplined at all times. I went to boarding school, which was, taught me a lot because discipline is everything in boarding school. You know, your timing, your schedule, the time you wake up, we, we woke up. So I'm really a big believer in that. You know, so even when I have my kids right now staying, staying with me and training with me for the camp, or even we have a full residential place. I'm very regimental on that because it's really important for them. I don't believe in this, you know, get up when you want. They have, oh, they had a late night so they can sleep in. We never had those or choices. So I think it's important to have, get the discipline into these kids. At the same time, you can still have fun. You can still have enjoyment. You can still have relaxation. 
but that doesn't take away from discipline or punctuality or or you know or hard work beautiful so i want to talk about the first ever win that you had in your life like you know when you were in horse and you won the race for the first time ever and but before that there was something interesting that you would do even as a kid which was you would have this imaginary you know thank you spaces um you know speeches for the imaginary races you would just just give those thank you speeches and and i recall it you know some instances where you know myself kind of closing my eyes and imagining a lot of people in front of me and you know being on the stage and talking in front of people and so on and so forth right so tell us about that like you know was it something that you would do it on your own or you learned it or picked it from someone else or it's just that you know you were just daydreaming or having that dream that you know one day yes, i'm yeah absolutely daydreaming for sure i used to dream all the time even at school i was looking outside the window daydreaming i was a big dreamer my parents thought this fellow is you know i had nothing re- real about anything that i said i was not i was, not, I was in another world and so i would do this all the time and even people that would come into my life small small things because when you when you're little you know you go in somewhere and somebody gives you a piece of chocolate or somebody like that somebody did something for you i say i must remember him you know because when i win my medal i have to thank him you know so all these things were in my thank you speeches of all these people so i had not been to any competition i had not gone anywhere but i was giving thank you speeches all the time because from that age i always knew i was going to represent india i didn't even know which sport you know i didn't know equestrian would mm. be high because there was no there's no equestrian uh, rider at that level at that, any you know and there's no qualifying events or anything like that so for when i was young i was uh, you know taking a little bit further on i was a good runner so i thought i'll do it in running you know carl lewis in those days had won you know five gold medals so i thought i can definitely do one then later i realized i was a very fast runner so then i thought oh then i was a good swimmer so i thought i'll do it in swimming you know so things like this i i was just trying all kinds of things to say i don't know what it is but i'm going to do it in something because i'm going to be wearing that india jacket and then I, one day somebody will ask me you know i have to t- give my speech so i have to be prepared from now you know and so not even knowing what my goal is what my sport is and i'm still prepared my thing but that's the way i was you know my, that vision and passion was there always do you still do that for anything you know to happen in your life do you yes, still yes yes i imagine i dream always always big big time always think big always you know even the book you know i always dreamt i'm going to have this book it's going to be read by everybody you know i'm going to make a movie out of it eventually it's going to get more people you know this is just my dreams all the time i don't tell many people but it just keeps on my ideas go uh, you know go a bit crazy in my head you know because you got to think that's why i keep telling these kids also you know think the unreasonable you know dream as high as it doesn't cost anything you know who's telling you not to mm-hmm. do not tell anybody you know dream as high as you can don't restrict yourself at least in your dreams anyway you have to restrict ourselves in life don't you know because people are so worried all the time about we don't have enough money we don't have enough time we don't have enough resources you will never going to have enough time or never have enough money or resources ever in your life so whatever you have to do just do it and things will happen if you have the right place the right attitude work hard work ethic discipline all these things coming from the family like yours it's fine is a hobby that you are riding the horses you are showing interest to show up every uh, yeah. single morning and go to the stable and uh, you know spend time with horses that's completely fine but here is uh, a son who's saying that i'm going to ride uh, professionally i'm going to yes. you know uh, do the horse riding professionally and that too in the 70s where uh, you know as you yourself said that you know uh, there was no professional setup in that yeah. sense to you know participate in the international and stuff like that then you know and what was your inspiration like on like hey you know what i'm going to represent india and you know start participating in the races yes yes so you know you always get people in your life you know you get coaches you get mentors so i was very lucky at the age of 11 i got a, i got a, one like a gift came you know from from gosh it was this lady from england diana wilson 
and she came into my life and she was an expat's wife who had ridden at top level, moved into Bombay City from the beautiful rolling country hills of England. So this is a concrete jungle and she had, she knew nobody. So she was introduced to my mother and they became best of friends. And every day she would spend a whole day at our house because she had no, she knew nobody in Bombay. She had nothing. And, and her passion, of course, she was this amazing rider. And I was only 11 years old. I was at boarding school. So when I would come back from the holidays, I would take riding lessons from her. And she was somebody I looked up to always, you know, because she was extremely well-traveled, extremely well-read. You know, somebody who you really looked up to as a role model. So she was my inspiration. And I said, you know, when I grow up, I want to become like Diana. When I grow up, I'm going to represent India, like, you know, be like Diana. She was, you know, one of the top riders in England. I'm going to be the top in India. So from that 11, and what was amazing, you know, is that from 11 to 30, till the Olympic Games, she trained me. So for 20 years, I had the same coach, same trainer, and no hiccups, no misunderstandings, and... This is the best part. No exchange of money. You know, mm. she did it from the goodwill of her heart. She did it because of what my family did for her when she was in India. She did it for me. She did it because she loved India so much. It was all just, just for, and for the sport. And also she couldn't believe what I was doing. She said, you know, I couldn't believe the amount of dedication this boy had. He was there every single day. Even she could not be late. Even when she was tired, she would say, no, if I come late, he'll be there ready. I must, I must be there. And that's my thing mm. as well. Today I have students staying with me. Even when I'm really tired or haven't had a good night or haven't slept, I have to get up because I have students there who are expecting that, you know. So you have to be as much, as dedicated as a student is, even the teachers have to be. The system has to be. You, we can't be late. I cannot afford to be late because then how can I tell them to be on time? It doesn't mean, oh, well, you're a teacher, you can do what you like. No, no, no. You have to set the example. And Diana did that. She was never late, never uh, not dressed properly. And so those are the things that I had in my, in my life throughout as being a, from a youngster. And that's what I grew up with. Everybody around me, you know, mom. Dad, everybody, they were always on time. They were always dressed correctly. They were always with the right gear. You know, it was done properly or we didn't do it. So that was what really helped me in later on in life because whatever I wanted to do, whatever, you know, I knew this was the only way. So, um, you know, you mentioned about Diana and how she came in your life. And uh, you also mentioned about boarding school, right? So you, you were now away from Mumbai into uh, yeah. and, and, you know, was in boarding school, but you haven't given on that dream of riding horses. And maybe representing in India one day. No, no, no. I was sent to boarding school because to get away from riding too much because they were studying. I was not studying that much. So they got a bit scared. They said, better send to boarding school to get them away. And that was the only way to get away from the horses, you know. But, you know, it was it, it, it's what made me. I was a bit timid boy. I wasn't a very strong boy. You know, I was a little bit, you know, you know, sheltered. As you said, you know, they're privileged, they're protected. So it really made me who I am, you know, made me fight, made me survive. It's not easy. It, you know, as I said, even the book, I opened it up, you know, I, I cried a lot. I was homesick. Uh, but that's life. It's okay. Because it was somewhat of a controlled environment. There were teachers there who were great. There were friends. I made my one of my, all my closest friends are from that school. So, you know, it, it teaches you a lot as well. So in life, what I would like to tell parents and kids is there's going to be ups and downs. Nothing is all perfect. Nothing is all on a silver spoon or a silver platter. You know, you have to work for it. And you're going to go through those ups and downs. So now tell us then how from, you know, uh, being in a boarding school away from your horses to participate in the qualifying uh, events yeah. for the Asian Games happened? So that was really hard because I was the only civilian. So it was it, it not easy when you're only civilian. It's all an army-dominated sport in those days, you know. So it was all, and all the events were in all these difficult cantonment areas and they made it even harder, places like Jalandhar or places like even Bihar. For me to travel, you know, without kind of with a horse. And those days, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have WhatsApp that you could message mom and dad. You know, I had to get off at a, at a dhaba and make a phone call, STD call, you know, ISD call, book. Sometimes they'd even book a call, you know, because they didn't have it and just say, I'm, I'm alive and put it down. They didn't even know where I was or which part of the country was. So that much trust they had. And it was just 
I just wanted it. So I didn't even take no as an answer. So it was not easy to go through all those highs, lows, ups, downs, and actually qualify, actually where, you know, get selected. So yeah, it was a big, uh, big part of the whole book of how, what it actually goes to actually, you know, get out of the comfort zone in order to do what you want to do. And that's what I keep telling kids today also. Don't go to a class because your friend is going. Don't do something because your parents want to do it. Don't do something because it's, you know, it's easy and the car is going so you can also join the carpool. If you want something, Find the the best place to do it, and then you have to make it has to be a little bit of a push to to achieve those things. So, when you look back today, what do you consider is the biggest challenge in your uh, you know entire journey, and what would be three lessons that you might have learned from those? Oh my God, I learned lots of lessons, lots of lessons, lots of challenges. You know, there are lots of times. You know, I mean, I'll give you an example now. It's uh, again. I'm giving only a snippets of the book, but I want people to read the book. If I tell you all the stories, they want to read the book. So one of the things was like, you know, I was only 19 years old and I was, like I told you, I went through all these trials and everything like that. And then I was dropped from the team the night before the team left, just the night before. So I'd already gone training. I'd won the India Blazer and everything. So it was quite hard. It was not easy to, you know, for a, for a young boy to have all these dreams and actually make it and then never really got to ride. So it was not easy in, in any aspect of it, you know. But the thing was, that I had good support. I had great parents, you know, who they, you know, who even told me at that time, you know, what do you want? And I said, I want to represent India. And they said, then just carry on doing it. You know, they never said, well, you've already done it. You've already won your jacket. You've already got selected. Now let's try something else. So let's move on to college or let's go on to, you know, educate, whatever you want to do. But that wasn't the case. So this is something that's really important. There are lots of lessons. When you look at the lessons I, le- I learned, one of the main lessons I learned is patience. You just got to wait. A lot of kids today, they want, they want it now. You know, even my students that I have now, I have to keep telling them, slow it down, slow it down. You know what I mean? It's not going to happen this week. It's not going to happen next month. And I'll tell you from now, it's not going to happen the next six months. It takes time. You have to invest in this. It has to be your way of life. It has to be what you do. Muscles have to come. Mental state has to come. And what the beauty of our sport is that you can do it for till quite old. Even at the recent Olympic Games, we had a gentleman who was 60 years old and won two medals. So, you know, age is not a thing. By 40, 45 is when you're actually in your prime. So you've got time, but don't rush it now because these kids rush it now. It doesn't last for that long, you know? So it's really, really important to take your time and do it correctly. So those are the lessons I learned. People, you know, you've got to uh, value what people can add to you. You know, we are an individual mm-hmm. sport, most sports or whatever you do, but you can't do it alone. You need the support. The whole book is about, you, you saw that, you read the book, you know, how many people came to help me. Random people, people who I didn't even know, they just all came and made made my goal their goal, you know. So only then I could have achieved it if I didn't have that support. Like I always say, you know, like uh, most people, they, there's an old old saying when they say, you know, uh, behind every successful man, there's a woman. I had three. I had many. But without them, I could have never achieved my goal. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. And throughout your book, one thing that seems as if it it, it was conspired by the universe. They say whenever you needed something, yeah. then there was an answer, you know, in front of you. So in that sense, I also think that that comes from the fact that your desire to, uh, you know, to achieve something was so strong that you know um, that everything was falling in place one after you know. Even though you had some setbacks, like you know, like you know, you you mentioned that. Um, after being the first civilian to represent India and then, you know, qualifying for it. And then you realize that uh, just before the event, your name is not on the list because you were a civilian. Um, So, you know, so those kind of setbacks and the stuff like that, those uh, even after that, but still, you know, there were instances where 
you know, people came forward to help you or maybe, you know, something just showed up that really helped you, uh, you know, progress in your journey. Maybe the desire was too strong. So now tell us about the whole journey about the Olympics, okay? So here you were, you know, uh, participating in the national games and stuff like that. And, you know, uh, you even qualified for the, uh, in, in the games in the Asian Games, but, you know, you were not able to be there for whatever reasons. But, then where this Olympics thing came about, like where you're like, okay, I'm going to now participate in the, you know, the Olympics and represent India. After the first Asian Games thing happened, that's when I realized, I said, you know, Asian Games is all in India. The, the, the qualifications in India, the Olympic Games is overseas. The qualifications are all overseas because we don't have any qualifying country. So in order to stay away from the politics, the bureaucracy, everything, I said, I'm going to go so high that nobody can stop me. If I'm the only mm-hmm. one, then they, they cannot drop me, right? So that's what that's how it happened. So I that's when I said I'm going to leave leave India, go to Australia. I realized it's four years to the next Olympic Games, and now I'm going. To, and that, before you, there was no one else who have represented uh, India in this game. No, there, there has been one gentleman who was from the army again, but he didn't complete the course. He just went there, so he mm-hmm. went in 1996. So, but after that, there has been a single person for 21 years, and now Fouad Mirza went this year, which was just wonderful. You know, to have another uh, athlete do it, but it took 21 years. Uh, so that's how I left home and I decided now while I was going to the path, I again got selected for the 98 Asian Games where I won a bronze medal. So at least that, at least uh, another goal of mine got got cleared. So that's what I'm saying, you know, think positive, think big and Asian Games just happened. You know, I got selected. I also went to the Asia Pacific Games and I won a bronze medal there as well. So Olympics was on that pathway. Again, just things would happen. I was in college and studying in Australia and I had a horse that was given to me, a, le- a leased horse, and I won my first international event. And I beat a double gold medalist, Matt Ryan, you know. So it was huge. I was a college student beating a gold medalist at the Olympic Games, you know, who had won two gold medals. So that's what I thought, this is it. I'm going to do it. Again, I had no clue and I had no horse. I, I was so far away from my goal, but I never gave up. So it was always there that this is what I'm going to do this and, you know, keep training and keep working hard. It'll happen. Super. So uh, tell us about the um, Olympic dream that you had. And then you went for these Olympic qualifiers. And I, we want like the story here, okay? So we want, you know, I want everybody here to know that how powerful your determination was <laughs> when you, you know, um, you were to ride in the Olympics and you were not on the, um, on the list, right? So tell us the entire story, uh, what happened <laughs> and how determined you were that you were going to ride and how that happened because that's like really amazing. Oh, great. Thank you. But, you know, it's something that it was I wanted so bad. So when I actually qualified, I thought that was going to get me to ride. But then you have to have a ranking, you know, system. And I was too far down rank. But I never gave up. I just kept training, kept training. My ranking moved up a little bit. But it wasn't good enough to ride at the Olympic Games. And they told you that your ranking does not uh, allow you to, yes. you know, participate in the Olympics, You cannot right? think, sorry, you're out, you know. And, and how then, many weeks before uh, Olympics was this? Or maybe this months? This was about six months before the Olympics. So six okay. months out there, it said, sorry, not possible. But if you could try, you could keep on trying. And maybe if your ranking does go up, but it's very rare, you can still try. So I kept trying. Three months down, again, I was not on a list because I said, your ranking is still not moved up. And then when it was one month only left, again, they said no. Then all the horses came from all over the countries, all, all the international horses so the, for the Olympic Games because they had to do quarantine in Australia because quarantine in Australia is very hard. And they said, sorry, now... It's over because these are the right horses. These are all the horses that are going to compete at the Olympic Games. And you haven't made the cut. So uh, we are very sorry, but you did a great job. Well done. You know, all thumbs up and all that. But I never gave up. I said, that's fine. I'm not going to take no as an answer. 
I also put my horse in quarantine. So they said, no, no, you can't put your horse in quarantine because it's only for the Olympic game horses. So I made my own quarantine and kept it just outside the quarantine village and said, I'll stay there and do it and I'll keep my horse in quarantine. So I quarantined myself out by my own and just outside. So I did everything that was supposed to be done because I said, I'm going to ride the Olympic Games. Not that anybody else knew. Then the Olympic Games began. They had the opening ceremony, everything event, and I watched it on television. The next day, the course was open because all the riders get to walk the course. So I told my trainer, Dan, I said, come on, we've got to go and walk the course. She said, for what? I said, no, I'm going to ride. And she said, no, no, it's it's over. The game is closed. All the horses are already in the, you know, at the venue and the only the riders that can walk. So I got special permission and they said, yeah, sure, if you want to walk the course, you can walk the course. So I walked the course with Diana. I told, I told just teach me, you know, how am I going to ride it? So she also didn't know. She thought, you know, this fellow has been dreaming for this since he was six years old. Maybe he's hallucinating a little bit, you know. So she kept on, you know, uh, you know, she still walked the course and everything with me. And uh, then I went home and I said, let's train. And she said, what are we training for? She said, I said, tomorrow. We got tomorrow is the Olympic Games is the warm up, you know. So I got to be there for the warm up. I, well, she said, no. Tomorrow is the warm up match and yeah. you are still not on the list and you still believe that you are going to make it. Yes, I said, no. I'm, and I'm out, out, I'm three hours away from Sydney. In a, in a, in a wow. place, in a town, in quarantine. So I was not even next to the venue. And uh, and I came back. Then when I came back at night, I was sitting and there was a gentleman who helped me, one of my mentors again, you know, Tony. So I gave him a call just to chat with him in the, at night about nine o'clock. And I said, hi, Tony. And he said, uh, have you not heard? I said, what? Heard what? He said, there were some horses that had been injured and now there's some open spaces and they're looking for horses that were in quarantine and yours is the only horse in quarantine. So they're going to call to you. Wow. He said, put the phone down. They're going to call you. And at 10 o'clock at night, they called me and they said, well, we've got an open spot because a horse, somebody's horse got sick and they pulled out. So you get to ride tomorrow. And that was wow. it. I got up in the morning and next day I was uh, driving to the Sydney Olympic Games in my truck, truck and trailer uh, going to compete. So it's it's all about, I think, the, just the power of uh, believing in yourself and not giving up at any stage. <laughs> what was going on in mind? I want to know, like, <laughs> what was that belief yeah. and where did that come from? I want to know. I knew I'd worked so hard for it. I knew I did not, you know, do anything wrong. I did everything correctly. I did everything by the book. So I just felt that, you know, it cannot be taken away from me. You know, I've not done anything wrong. I have worked hard for this. It's already been taken away once for me in 1994, the Asian Games, you know, six years ago. It's not going to be taken away from me now again, you know. So I just had that belief always that, you know, be true, be honest. And I was not going to let all the people down that helped me. And I said, no, no, it's going to happen. It, you know, it will happen. I don't know how, but it will happen. Imtiaz, but there are so many people out there who take no as an answer and yes. you are one of those people who would never take no as an answer, yeah. right? So, and oftentimes a lot of people, you know, the first time they hear no, then it's like this, that's it. Like, yes. because the yes. other person said yes. no to the opportunity or whatever it is, that's yeah. it. It can't happen and they just give up, right? Um, what, what, what is the, you know, lesson that you want to pass on to people? Oh, I'll uh, tell you, you a know, little funny, funny thing that happened because I was working in, a, I was teaching in Australia and I teach in the Young Rider team and I had a lady who was my assistant, you know, and it's quite funny because she, she said, you know, now that I'm not there, I'm back home. We always talk on the phone. And she said, you know, they call me empty in Australia. She said, empty. the one thing I've learned from you is that no is not a no. <laughs> I said, well, really? Is that the only thing you learned? She said, yes. She said, it was unbelievable. We'd go to meetings and somebody said, no, we can't do this. And you'd come back and you'd just say, all right, we're doing it. And we said, but they just said no. I said, yeah, they'll come around. Don't worry. We'll, we'll figure it out. You know, there's no. That's just the first time they said no. No doesn't mean no nah, that they said there's no way. It just says no. He didn't say no way. 
He said, what do you mean? No way is the same as no. So, you know, we, we just the way you think about it. I said, no, 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 we'd go back again. The next day we'd go, you know, we'd do something else. We'd try another angle. And eventually, it, it they would they would say yes because they would see it that it's for, the, for a genuine reason. You're not trying to scam a system. You're not trying to cheat them. You're not trying to make money. You're not trying to, you know, it's not a business deal. When they realize, people realize that's not the situation and they know it's just from, that it will, it's, it's from the goodness of your heart that you're actually trying to do some good, people will say yes. But they also don't know that. Most people think that, you know, this is just a money-making racket. They're trying to do something. They're trying to, uh, you know, do something that's shady. So that's also a mindset that people have. So it's easier to say no. If they say yes, they have to work a little harder because then they have to help you also. So it's easier to say no and hopefully 50% will leave. The other 50% will come back. Then 25% will leave. Then 25 stay. And they may say yes to those people. So, you know, you have to, you have to see the situation, understand it, be careful because you don't want to hurt people. You don't want to upset people. You don't want to make, be arrogant. It's about making them understand your viewpoint. Beautiful. So tell us, uh, you know, your Olympic experience and, uh, you know, how did you manage to uh, complete the entire course, uh, which is, uh, yeah. But I think it's quite special. You know, it's really special because in our sport, I was the only Indian. So one thing which I always, you know, I love this. When you see the Indian flag, you know, it's there because of you. So you, you have a lot of just, uh, you know, respect. You know, you have to do justice to it. So you feel really good about that sort of part. But then at the same time, it's nerve wracking. You know, you've got nerves like crazy, such big crowds, so much pressure on you. And our sport is quite dangerous. You know, we are, we are, we are a very different sport. Most people don't even know it's called three day eventing, which is like the triathlon. So we have dressed out the first day cross country and then show jumping all on the same horse. So a lot of things can go wrong. And cross country part is very dangerous and you're galloping over four to five kilometers at very fast speeds, uphill, downhill, ditches, banks, and the horses have never seen those courses. So you could, they could have an injury, they could fall, you could fall. There have been deaths in our sport as well. Wow. So it's a lot of danger as well. It's a, it's the most dangerous sport there is because of the amount of deaths that have happened in the last, you know, four or five years. Uh, so, you know, you get scared. And as you know, I'm quite, a, I was, I'm even now I'm quite a timid, uh, person, so it wasn't like I was strong, tough, but at the same time, I just loved it and I knew that I had the trust in my horse, you know. So it was throughout the competition, we would just keep talking to each other, riding and keep talking to each other and hoping that, you know, uh, everything comes together. So it's really a special time when you're there, the whole crowd. And since I've lived in Australia for four years, and as you know, how many people helped me, you know, I never take no for an answer. So there are lots of people that I've made so many, so many friends. So when I was riding, it was like literally, it was I was like an Australian rider. The crowds were all cheering for me. So that felt really good that, you know, I had, uh, like somebody said, he has home, home ground advantage, <laughs> you know, because they thought I was I was literally half Aussie than, uh, you know, uh, and half Indian. So that was just lovely that it was, you know, they, it was a very special feeling. And that's what the Olympics is about. It really doesn't matter that level, what country you're from, what color you are, what race you are, what, you know what I mean? There are only so many that really qualify. There are only so many that are at this level. So everybody works together. Everybody's friendly. You know, when you look at our country, we have a billion people, 125 represented in India. We should honor all of them, not just the medal winners yeah. or, the, you know, what about the name? Because when you look at it, only 125, that's a small number that actually qualified for something as big as the Olympic Games, you know? So it's a really special feeling to represent your country at that level, to know that you've, you put India on the map. That's what it's all about. Wow, that's amazing. So also uh, tell us, uh, you know, where this sport at the moment is uh, in India and, uh, you know, uh, and what's the status like right now? Because as you have said, like after, after you, this is the only, you know, time in this Olympics, like India actually sent uh, people for, to participate in this. Um, so, yeah. So it's grown a lot. I mean, you know, in our time, as, as I said, you know, when I was there, I was the only civilian. It was all army. Now it's gone into the civilian hands. There are lots of riding schools. 
People love, love horses. It's a great sport for their kids. You know, every other sport, you're playing cricket, you're playing football, badminton. Once you finish the game, you put your stuff in a gear, in a kit bag, and it's gone. You forget about horse, you have to look after, you have to care. So it teaches kids responsibility. It teaches kids that it's not only about them, it's about something else. So it's a really wonderful thing. The other thing which is quite interesting is that it's the only sport where men and women compete at par. So there's no, uh, you know, stamina, strength. It's all equal. So that's one thing. The second thing, which I think, which is really quite lovely, is a lot of people who are not that sporty uh, can still ride and be very good at it. You know, because in running, you have to be the fastest runner. Or football, you have to kick the ball the hardest. So if you don't have strength and you don't have speed, you can still be involved with the sport where you don't have to do that. Because it's tact, it's understanding, it's feeling. You still have to be fit, but it's totally a different sport. It's like playing an instrument, actually. So it's a wonderful sport for those sort of families and those sort of kids that want to get involved in sport, but they don't have that sporty kids as well. So it works for everybody, you know, and there's still an animal involved. So even if you're not that sporty, you can still brush them, clean them, groom them, be involved in the sport as a support team, which is huge. So that's what makes the sport very, very different. And riding centers now have opened in the two tier cities, you know, before it was always associated only with the racing centers like Bombay, Delhi, uh, Bangalore, uh, Calcutta, Bang and things like that. Now it's in Chandigarh, Amritsar, Patiala, Pune, all these small sort of places have very good, you know, they also have racing, but they've now gone into riding clubs. So it's now more accessible. It has grown more national level and junior national level. There are lots and lots of kids competing. So it's just a matter of time that this is going to become a very, very big sport. Wow, that's amazing. So when you look back at your journey, and especially from this particular sports, um, three biggest lessons that you have learned? The three biggest lessons I would say to anybody is uh, dedication, discipline, and determination. You know, you've got to have those three things. You know, without that, you can't do anything in life. You know, you can have all the talent, but if you don't have those three, you don't have the hard work ethic, uh, you're just not going to go, go anyway. It's not, it cannot. Talent can only take you so much. So those are the things I always tell. And I think the one thing that I've really learned in the whole thing is people management more than anything. It's the way you respect people and people will respect you. You know, it's the way you deal with them, the way you talk to them, the way the time that you give them. Very, very important. Super, Intiaz. So you have uh, your book uh, out available yes. for people to read. It's called Riding Free, My Olympic Journey. And I have completed, uh, you know, reading the book. And as I mentioned, uh, you know, earlier as well, I absolutely loved uh, reading the book. It's open, it's honest, it's vulnerable. And also, um, it also gives us glimpse of behind the scenes of what happens on that screen, on that, you know, <laughs> match at the race that you see, right? And I was, um, and I was reading, you know, uh, for some of the Olympians, uh, right? For, for example, some, some of the, you know, short races that happens, right? Where people are running, it's like just like they they yeah. finish it in like you know less than a minute in like you know half yeah. half a minute and for that they yeah. have been preparing for ages right and you know that's just like what yeah. you see on the screen and then you say that oh this was better than that but what goes behind the scene you know that was great to know and learn from your journey of what goes really behind the scenes and what are the kind of things that happens which was which is really great so I encourage everyone to kind of uh, pick the book I'll link that up on the description of this episode so tell us how the whole thing about book came um, you know uh, came about so the book was something I always wanted to write and the reason was to reach more people because I just feel there's only so much you can reach them when you actually meet them talk to them in my circle but I thought if the book could get out, but again, it's hard nowadays, not many people read books as well, but it's to push people to tell them the story. And the story that you get from my book it really is all about just living your passion, living your dream, uh, getting out of your comfort zone, you know, don't do the norm. And I'll give you an example. I've said that in another podcast, so it's a bit repetitive, 
but you know this is some, somebody told me this and it's it's resonated in my in me always that you know you have they had an experiment of 10 people and the bell rang and they were told that when a bell rings you stand up have you heard about this and those 10 people would stand up every time the bell rang and they they put a, a new person in it but they didn't tell him that so when they when the bell rang uh, he just saw it yeah. but never did it mm-hmm. and then eventually he also started getting up and nobody for no reason because that's what we are programmed yeah. for you know we, we just follow as humans we love to follow if somebody's doing it that's what we should do it no no that's not the way life works you know you have to start making it your own finding out don't ask reason question find out what you what you know wakes you up every morning and then follow that so that's what the whole book was about it was to tell kids to do that it was to tell parents that you know support your kids to live the dream my parents were so so supportive i was really fortunate to have parents like that you know people the amount of people that come into your lives you know respect them you know honor them remember them because without them you cannot achieve your goal in whatever you do whether it's business whether it's art whether it's as i said anything in life you need people there's no successful person who would say i did it by myself it's not possible so that's what the real reason for the whole book was so i just hope people read it and actually get inspired and you know live their dream absolutely i link the book on the description of uh, this episode make sure that you check that out and grab the copy you will absolutely love the book and the entire journey that it has uh, had been uh, so if i have something called is uh, you know um, enlightening round where i'm going to ask you some uh, questions and you are supposed to give like some quick short answers do i get do i get a hamper <laughs> <laughs> uh yes um so all right let's go yes um what inspires you to do everything that you do family mm-hmm. so which one daily habit do you believe has been game changer for you in your success journey waking up early best piece of advice that you have received in your life be comfortable try and be as comfortable in an uncomfortable uh, area because life is not comfortable what is the one wrong belief you have held for the longest period of time in your life about yourself that are not emotionally strong what do you want to be remembered for helping others uh, achieve their goals do you read not as much as should so could you share a book or two that you know that you have read uh, and that has kind of influenced you personally in the recent past well i think one of the things that have really uh, which i think is uh, you know for me it's more uh, stipits not like the book mm-hmm. that have inspired me so they have lots of those inspirational quotes that i read a lot because they have so much meaning in them you know so there are many many of them i don't need i mean so i have to say that you know because that is more powerful you know because you, a whole book doesn't you know but when you read just one paragraph that somebody's put in that says something that uh, it just resonates with me and says wow that's what life's all about you know, this is what we got to do you know you got to push yourself so that sort of stipits have, uh, have always stayed with me if you were to start this journey all over again what are the three things that you would have done differently or maybe started early or done you know absolutely nothing mm-hmm. i and many people have asked me that i have lived my life the fullest i loved every everything i did was the way i should have done it i mean there's no other way i could have done it anyway because i didn't come from that you know i didn't live in those european countries where the qualify you know i have top horses i i did everything anything i wanted to do i did it i just thought about it and it happened uh, i believed in it and i made it happen so i really don't look back as anything that you know I would have done differently I would have changed I could have you know no I I I just was I've just been really blessed and I've had a wonderful wonderful life Awesome so I have one last question that I want to ask you but yes. before I ask you that question if people would like to get in touch with you learn more about you where can they yes. uh, find you So always I tell people is insta is intias.anis that's the the easiest you can always do facebook which is a uh, seahorse 
which is my equestrian training facility, Seahorse Equestrian uh, Facility. Tell us a little bit about uh, you know that bit. What what you're doing right now currently? Yeah. It's a lovely place. So after COVID, I decided to stay back in India because I realized that you know this is the time to give back to the kids and students. So I've started my own riding equestrian center, and it's only about three hours from Mumbai. But what's beauty about it is that it's on the beach. So you can ride on the beach and we can take horses in the sea and it's for everybody. So it's not only for top riders. We have national level riders. We have kids who want to learn to ride, mother and daughter, families, anybody's come. We have a bit of a homestay. They can come and stay. And it's about that experience. It's not just the riding lesson. So I don't want it to be come and ride. They get to learn to brush, groom, clean, look after their horses, clean their tag. So it's a whole uh, activities that they actually get to do with their horses and learn more. And then, of course, you know, you're on the beach, so you can always take a walk, have a dip, and enjoy it. So we're very, very lucky that we can combine both together. That sounds so much fun. So if yes. people want to contact me, it's Instagram, it's Facebook, which is Seahorse uh, Equestrian uh, Training, or you know, even just a message or WhatsApp or message me on Instagram, and uh, we can chat, and uh, I'm happy to help them in any way they want. Absolutely. I'll just put all of those on the description of this episode. You'll find the link to the Instagram and, uh, you know, and, and Facebook and all of that in the description of this episode. So here's the last question for you, Imtiaz. Yes. Imagine you are standing on a stadium and this is the largest stadium that has ever been built in the history of the world. And there are millions of people eagerly and passionately waiting to listen to you. And you have been given only one minute of the time to share the most important lesson that you have learned in your life. What would be your message? Follow your passion. Live your dream. Work hard. Be disciplined, be punctual, and respect people around you. Your goals will become their goals and you will achieve the impossible. It has been great having this conversation, Imtiaz. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Thank you so much.